Can we say amen to that? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Yet not I, but Christ in me. When I, I got the agenda of what the songs would be before I would preach, I was like, wow, they're going to make me cry <laughs> before I preach this morning. Because that should be the sentiment of all of our hearts. Whatever we do on this side, whatever accomplishments, whatever accolades we have on this side, we, let us repeat. Let our lips say, yet not I, but Christ in me. Hallelujah. I know we just finished praying, but if you will, can we pray again? <laughs> I'll do my heart well. Father, we want to say thank you. Father, it's never the wrong time. It's never inappropriate to give thanks, to be grateful, God, for what you have given us. For you have given us our lives. You're the one who sustains. You are our heavenly father. You are the creator of the universe. But also, you see about us. What is man that you would visit us? And the son of man that you would take care of them, you would look after them. So who are we, God, to deserve your grace to, 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 to see about us, God, to show your mercy, to show your kindness, to show your love? So, Father, we thank you for this moment where we get a chance to see your kindness and your love on display as we enter your word. So I pray, God, as I speak your word to your people, God, uh, give me what I need. Give me the faith, God, to trust in you as I preach. Give me wisdom to, to know what to say and to discern what not to say. Give me clarity of speech. And most of all, give all of us ears to hear what you are saying. Cultivate the soil of our hearts this, this morning, God, that it may bear fruit for your glory, some tenfold, some fiftyfold, some a hundredfold. So, Father, have your way in this hour. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everyone who agree, let us say, Amen. 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 Let me say that it's a privilege, it's an honor to be before you in this chapel service. Thank you to Dr. Dockery and thank you to Provost Madison Grace and many others I have invested in my life during my time here at Southwestern. I was, as I was driving here, I was thinking through all the names and the professors and uh, the students and TAs and you name it, the staff members and uh, even medical professionals, uh, you name it, all the who have vested in where I'm at today. And I would be remiss if I start naming off names, but thank you for what you have done. Thank you for your love, your care, and thank you for the text messages <laughs> and the calls and all that and the, the Facebook posts that I got the last 24 hours, last 48 hours as I was preparing to preach before you this morning. So without delaying the time, let's go to the letter of Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians. I'm going to look at the latter section this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. And you'll have to excuse me, my, my faith tradition, I'm, I'm, I'm black and I'm Baptist, so you're going to have to speak to me, all right? <laughs> That's the agreement, all right? So don't, don't, don't be scared to say amen. <laughs> I got some amen corners. If not, I got my, my church family with me as well. <laughs> amen. As you make it there to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, what we'll be looking at this, this morning is what's called the perinesis section of this letter. That perinesis section is a, a fancy word for saying the ethical instructions that Paul is giving to the church and maybe churches around Asia Minor, including the church of Ephesus. In this section of Paul's letter, he's, he's 
uh, illuminating, he, he's describing what walking in Christ is supposed to look like. So within this section in chapters 4 through 5 specifically, we see five instances of the term walk that I believe gives us rhetorical cohesion to Paul's instructions in this letter. So if, if we have the first one in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a worthy manner, worthy of the, Lord, of the calling to which you have been called, of all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then we have the next instance of this verb, of this, this form, this term to walk in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, where Paul says, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, as the nations do, in the futility of their minds. Then we have the third instance of this term walk in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, be imitators, mimitai, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us. And last but not least, or right, two more, sorry, uh, the next one, chapter 5, verse 8, we have, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And finally, we make it to the, the last instance of this term walk, which is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, where Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. <laughs> Paul's talking about walking this morning. And to give a title to this message, I like to put theology applied. Theology applied. <laughs> now, let's, you will zoom in to that first instance, which is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Where Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling by which you were called. <laughs> now, when you look at that, that, that phrase, especially where he says, walk in a worthy manner, or, or walk in a manner that's worthy, I don't know about you, but when you see it on the surface, there, there may be some trepidation. <laughs> Because if you read it on the surface and you, you thinking, and maybe it's my Baptist upbringing, when you see the word worthy, you know that I'm not worthy of anything that regards to salvation. When you see the term worthy, it, it makes me feel that there's nothing worthy about me to receive God's grace. When you see the term worthy, it make, may make you feel a little uncomfortable when you see the term worthy, you think what that has to do with anything in regards to salvation. Well, my brothers and sisters, Paul here is not saying that we are worthy of our salvation. In fact, Paul is not saying that we're even worthy of the calling. But to notice what Paul is saying here, we have to notice the sequence of how he is saying it. For he begins in chapter 1. He says, therefore, that little tiny conjunction it's a referential conjunction. And what that does, it points back to everything that Paul said previously in chapters 1 through 3. Paul is saying, in light of. Can you say, in light of? 
Paul says in light of what I described in Ephesians chapter 3, where he describes the mysterion of the gospel, where the Gentiles are engrafted, the partakers of the promise now found in Christ. Paul says in light of, can you say in light of? In light of what Paul describes in chapter 2, where he describes our dead situation, where Paul says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, in his, who was rich in love and mercy, he raised us up and made us alive together in Christ. In light of, can you say it? In light of what Paul describes in chapter 1, where he describes that the whole Godhead was involved in our salvation, for it was the Father who chose us. Is we have redemption in the Son and forgiveness through his blood. And, and in the Spirit, we have the seal of ownership and who is the guarantee of our salvation. Paul says, in light of what God has done for you, in light of, what, of this great salvation we have received, in light of all this grace that we have received, Paul says, walk in a manner that is a worthy response of what your appreciation is back to God. Paul saying this, the, the word worthy is just a response. It, it reflects your appreciation of what God has already done for you. <laughs> See, my brothers and sisters, my, my, my black grandma raised me up, and she, she told me that whenever someone does something for you, the least you can do is to say thank you. <laughs> so my brothers and sisters, since God has given you life, <laughs> since God has given you everything that you have, since God has poured his grace upon you, the least we can do is give our lives back in gratitude and appreciation for what he has already done. <laughs> so Paul says our lives is a worthy response. He's saying we're not deserving of this salvation, but he's saying such a great salvation deserves a great and worthy response. So he says make your response worthy of the, the calling that you've received. Make your response, your life, a worthy sacrifice for what God has already done for you. Paul's saying we're not deserving of this salvation, but this great salvation deserves a worthy response. <laughs> but in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, the term worthy is not the only modifier that we see for this term walk. For Paul also says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he tells us what this worthy walk looks like. He says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager or striving, endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. <laughs> See, my brothers and sisters, Paul's rhetorical goal here in Ephesians chapter 4 is the unity of the saints. You see, that's Paul's concern as he goes through the churches of Asia Minor. That, that's Paul's concern as he goes from Asia Minor to Macedonia and down to, to, Asia, to, down to uh, Corinth and Athens and, and even later to Rome. That's Paul's concern. And by way of exaltation, he says, this should be our concern as well. <laughs> well, you may be asking, why is unity, why should unity be a concern of mine? Well, Paul points back, once again, to that little old word found in verse 1 of our text. He says, therefore, or in light of. <laughs> Paul says, in light of what God has done for you, we need to walk in a certain type of way. 
For you see, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, my brothers and sisters, Paul says, even as he chose not only you, but chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he predestined not only you, but predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, he made not only you, but made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him, and he seated us with him. My brothers and sisters, what Paul's saying, God didn't stop with his call to you alone, but God called us together to be one man, one body in Christ. See, my brothers and sisters, in chapters, three, chapters 1 through 3, he gives us theology. But now in chapter 4, he wants us to apply that theology. See, my brothers and sisters, when it comes to unity, what Paul is telling us here is that we are not called to make something new, but we're called to maintain something we already have. We are already unified in Christ. <laughs> we're already joined together, as Paul says, like a building, brick by brick, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone and the foundation. We are already unified. We're already one body in Christ. My brothers and sisters, this is not just realized eschatology. This is a reality for the people of God. We have already been unified in Christ. And to borrow the words from the context of marriage, where God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. <laughs> For remember, we're not called to make something new, but we're called to maintain something that we already have. And just like in a marriage relationship, that there's required to be some maintenance just like in the car that you, you got, got here to Texas or got here to chapel with, that it requires some maintenance to keep things going. Well, my brothers and sisters, there's some attitudes that can corrode our unity. There's some attitudes that corrode what God has already given us. So what Paul does here is he gives us some things, some, some attitudes like humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, bearing with one another, some things, some attitudes that will help be some preventative maintenance for the corrosion that goes from the inside to the out. We've been joined together already. We're unified already. We're one body. We're family. <laughs> no matter what ethnicity, what nation, what tongue, we're already family by brothers and sisters, and that's good theology. But what Paul asks of us is to strive to put this theology and apply it in our lives. So Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of what God has already done for you. And this is the way we are to walk, with humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, striving to maintain what God has already said is true about us. In the first instance of this word walk, Paul tells us that we are to walk worthy. But in the next instance of this word walk, we found it, find it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. For in that passage, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. <laughs> Now, my brothers and sisters, when I read this passage, I can't help but think and look through the lens as a father. And one thing I've learned over 11 years of me and my wife parenting children is that children have a way of showing you 
yourself. <laughs> See, there, there are times when my oldest, my oldest daughter, she's 11, she, she gets excited and she wants to tell me a story about her day. So she goes around the story, the moral of the story. She tells way too many details. And, and what started as a two-minute story is prolonged to a 10 to 15-minute discourse about her day. And then usually sometime during that discourse, my wife gives me the look. <laughs> and she tells me, you know where she got that from. <laughs> she gets that from you. <laughs> my brother and sister, we can blame it on biology. We can blame it on genetics. There's, there's a truth here because children tend to mimic. They tend to imitate the behaviors that they see. <laughs> so it's no coincidence that, that the Apostle Paul here, when he's trying to find an analogy for how we are to pattern our lives after God, he takes a reference from the home. And he says, be imitators, be mimetai, where we get the word mimic. Be those who mimic God. How? As beloved children. <laughs> Paul is using his theology here. He's saying, since we are the children of God, we should strive to be like our heavenly father. And my brothers and sisters, some have tried to make the distinction between Jesus' teachings and Paul's teachings. But doesn't this sound like Jesus in the Gospels, specifically in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus says, be complete or be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, because he allows his son to shine on the good and the evil, and he allows the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. There are some in scholarship in the past who have tried to put a distinction between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, but once again, these words sound like the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter says, just like obedient children. Don't conform to the passions of your own desires. But just as he who has called you is holy, be ye holy, for it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Paul is saying, since you are children of God, strive to be like your heavenly father. <laughs> since God has called you into the family, since you has adopted you and called you by name, try to be like your daddy. <laughs> See, my brothers and sisters, it's not a bad thing when another believer tells you that you're just like your father. <laughs> That's a compliment because <laughs> we're striving every day to be more like our heavenly father who is in heaven. Paul says, be imitators of God. Mimic the pattern of God. How? As beloved children. <laughs> but Paul doesn't stop there in this exhortation. For in verse 2, what he does is he gives us a twofold command. He gives us two for one, two, command, two commands in one passage. For Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. See, my brothers and sisters, what Paul is doing here when he gives us the exhortation to walk in love is that he holds up the love of Christ and like a diamond, he turns it 
so we can see the different aspects of its splendor, so we can see the different facets of its glory. And one of the things that Paul shows us here is how this love is multi-level. <laughs> this love is multi-leveled. For Paul says, Christ, in verse 2, Christ loved us. But then he says, and he gave himself for us. And then the giving of himself, he says in verse 2, is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. As they say in culture, there, there's levels to this. <laughs> and, and what Paul is doing is he's, he's showing us that the love of Christ is a multi-leveled love. Let me put it this way. Out of love, Jesus did what was pleasing to the Father. And then out of love, Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself. And then once again, out of love, Jesus did what was beneficial to all of us. Jesus displayed a multi-level, sacrificial, God-pleasing, people-benefiting type of love. And my brothers and sisters, I suggest that this multi-level type of love is a distinctly Christian type of love because there are some in our culture that they say that they know love, but their love doesn't please the Father. There are some who may even say, I love you, but they're not willing to give, they're not willing to sacrifice on your behalf. There are some who say that they know God, but there are no benefit to anyone outside of themselves. But Paul says a distinctly Christian type of love is a love that pleases God, is a love that's willing to deny oneself, and it's a love that's benefit to others for the glory of God. Paul says walk in love, and we have the best example in the universe. He says walk in love as Christ displayed this type of love. Isn't this what Christ said in the Gospels? The great commandment, we says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then he says, the second one is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then another instance in the Gospel, Paul, uh, Jesus says, if anyone wants to become my disciple, let him take up his cross, deny himself daily, and follow me. A distinctly Christian type of love is a multi-level type of love, a love that pleases the Father, a love that's willing to give of yourself, and a love that benefits others. And Paul says, love like that. <laughs> Paul says, walk in love as Christ also loved us. And I'm almost done. I only got one more point. <laughs> and then lunch awaits all of us. <laughs> Let's move on to the, the last walk in this section. And there's five different walks, but for the sake of time, we're going to look at the last walk, which is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, where Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise. Well, in order to get what Paul is saying here, we need to look at the context of where we have already traveled. 
For Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling by which you have been called. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, be imitators, mimic, pattern your life after God's, and walk in love as Christ showed a multi-level type of love towards you. And then finally, in Ephesians chapter 5, before he gets to verse 15, he gives us a distinction in the text. For beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 6, Paul gives a distinction of those who pattern their life. He calls them the sons of disobedience and how they distinct between us who are the children of God. Paul gives a distinction for what he calls the children who walk in darkness. And then he shows how it's different from the fruit of those who walk in the light. And with this distinction in mind, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. See, what Paul is talking about here is our walk before community, before our walk before our society, before, is our walk before all of mankind. He says, look carefully how you walk. Now, once again, when you, when you think of the word careful, it, it may cause us to fear a little because when someone tells you to be careful, it, it, it causes you to fear, it causes you to, to see the risk that's involved. And when Paul says that you are to look careful how you walk, it, it, on the surface, it makes us feel like we're walking on thin ice. <laughs> when Paul says, look carefully how you walk, it can be taken as, as if you are tiptoeing through this world. But what Paul doing, is doing here is he's not saying that you are supposed to tiptoe through your Christian life. You're not supposed to tiptoe through your journey before other people. Because as we see the way that Jesus walked, I believe Jesus didn't tiptoe his way through the streets of Galilee. He didn't tiptoe his way through Judea and Samaria, but he made an impact, he made an influence wherever that he went. <laughs> when we look at the, the ministry of Paul, Paul didn't tiptoe his way through the Greco-Roman world. But Paul said himself in 2 Corinthians chapter two, that God in Christ, he always leads us into triumph and to spread the knowledge, which is a fragrance of the knowledge of God. To some, if it's, it's a fragrance of death unto death, and to others, it's a fragrance of life unto life. Paul is not saying that we are to tiptoe through our Christian journey. Paul is not saying that we are to walk so carefully that we are afraid on how we are to live out our Christian life. But what he is saying here, it, it gives clarification when we read the rest of verse 15. For Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul says it's not about fear when you walk in this Christian life, but the principle when you're walking, the principle is about wisdom. He says, when you're walking before the people of this world. He says, when you're walking before the coworkers at your job. He says, when you're walking and talking, expressing yourself on social media, the thing that you need is to walk in wisdom. And what does wisdom look like 
for the child of God. What Paul says, what it looks like in verses 16 and 17, he says, make the best use of your time. And then be not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul says the wisdom for the child, children of God is redeeming the time and understanding the will of the Lord. See, in the Greek New Testament, here in the ESV is translated, making the best use of your time. But in the Greek New Testament, the phrase that's used, it, it, it means to redeem the time, to, to buy up, to buy out the time. And, and that wording here is really transactional language. It, it's language that you use in the marketplace. And it's language that you use even in the context of Greco-Roman slavery. But here in Ephesians chapter 5, and also in Colossians chapter 3, Paul uses this type of language in regards to time. Paul says, buy up the time. Redeem the time. Well, what does it mean to redeem the time? What does it mean to buy up the time? Well, my brothers and sisters, the best parallel that I can give you this morning is a few years back when I heard the news that Lifeway Christian stores were, were closing their brick and mortar stores. Now, now, I know this is not a confessional period, <laughs> but I had to give a little confession. I have an obsession with books. <laughs> I, I noticed that in my MDiv, and it didn't help, my professors didn't help me, because they kept on putting books on the syllabi, <laughs> kept on putting books that's required, and even the books that are recommended. <laughs> and, and, I learned as it became part of the faculty that I'm not the only one with this type of obsession. <laughs> so when I heard that Life Break Christian Stores was, was closing the doors for good, I heard that they were starting to have a sale on their books. So naturally, <laughs> as I heard that they're marking them all 30% off, I made my way down to Life Break Christian Stores. And then as the, the, the day drew nearer, for that store to close, they started to mark it up even more. They marked it up to 40% off. So once again, I made my way down to Lifeway Christian stores. And then as the two weeks before the, the, the end was near, two weeks before the store would close, they kept on marking it up as it drew near, 50%, 60% off. And once again, <laughs> I made my way to Lifeway Christian stores. Well, I'm not gonna tell you how many times I made made it to Life at Christian stores because my wife is standing here, everybody's sitting here. <laughs> but, but what I was doing, my brothers and sisters, as the, 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 the close of the store drew nearer, there was more urgency to buy up everything that they had. As the store came closer to the end, there was more urgency to take advantage of every opportunity. As the end of the store was near, there was more urgency to, to buy up every moment to take advantage of every moment, to take advantage of every opportunity before the end at that store would be a reality. Well, my brothers and sisters, I think this is an appropriate parallel to what Paul is saying to us in this passage. Because when you understand the will of the Lord, then you know what the end of the story is. When you understand what the will of the Lord is, you know that our Lord Jesus said, I'm coming back soon. 
when you understand the will of the Lord, you know that the Bible says there's a point of a day uh, that all men will die, and then after that comes the judgment. We understand the will of the Lord. So we know there's a timetable, there's an expiration date on this world that is passing away. So Paul is saying, just like if you heard about your favorite store, if the, the doors were closing for good, as the time is drawing near, buy up every opportunity. As the day draws further, buy up every moment that you have. As the day gets closer to the end of this age, buy up every conversation. Buy up every time you have with your loved ones. Buy up every time with your co-works. Buy up, take every advantage of the opportunity. Because the end of the ages are near. Paul says, redeem the time, not as unwise, but as wise, because we know the end of the story. So we're buying up the time for the benefit of others, willing to give of ourselves and for the glory of God. Paul says, walk in a manner that is worthy because we don't deserve the salvation, but God has granted to us by his grace. Paul says, walk as imitators of God and walk in love because Christ showed us how to love in a Christian way. And Paul says, walk carefully, be careful in how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, buying up every moment that you can for the cause and for the glory of Christ. My brothers and sisters, here at TBC and in Southwestern, we have taught you different aspects of theology. But what Paul calls us here is to take that theology, and when we put it into practice, what we're doing, it was a put into practice, Theology applied. Paul cares on how we walk. He says, walk worthy. Walk not as the Gentiles. Walk in love. Walk as light. And be wise in how we walk. For there is, there is time that's yet to be redeemed. There's opportunities for you to buy up. So buy up the time. Understand what the will of the Lord is and give glory in everything you do to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as this moment has come to a close, we have heard your word. We have gotten our marching orders, or rather our walking orders, on how we should walk before you how we should walk before our fellow brothers and sisters in the community of faith, and how we should walk before others in this society. Father, give us faith to put into practice what you are teaching us. Because, Father, it's not good enough for us to know theology, but we want to apply theology in every aspect of our lives. Father, there may be one who needs to know that you love them, that this theology that Paul talks about of being chosen, being predestined, being called, that it can apply to them. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the sacrifice that he gave, that out of love and obedience for you, he gave of himself 
and he loved us and gave himself as an offering on our behalf. Let everything done today be done in your glory in remembrance and in gratitude as a worthy response of what you have done for us in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. And everyone who agree, let us say, amen. amen.